Today I want to look at a topic I've entitled, I want to know, and um, questions our students are asking, and in fact, all of us are asking. There was a boy who was looking up into the sky and began to be curious about what he saw. He approached his father, who was reading the newspaper on the porch, and asked, Dad, why does the wind blow? I don't know, son. The boy thought for a second and then asked, Dad, where did the clouds come from? I don't know, son. The boy thought for another second and asked, Dad, what makes a rainbow? No idea, son. The young boy leaned against the porch railing and said, Dad, do you mind me asking all these questions? The dad looked around his newspaper and said, Not all, son. How else are you going to (laughs) learn? Right? (laughs) Every parent has faced those kind of questions, right? And sometimes we're caught flat-footed and we have no idea how to respond. Oh, the innocent questions from those cute faces that just want to know everything that there is. We just celebrated Ella's eighth birthday, and it seems like just yesterday when our kids were, were little and they only knew that one word... Why? Right? They would ask a question, and then you would give them the answer, and they would respond with, why? And so you would answer that question, and they would respond with, why? (laughs) Right? And depending on how patient you were would determine how long that process would go, because why is a never-ending question, right? Well, as our kids grow up, they, they may stop asking that question, why? But the same child that was so eager to know everything still has many questions today. See, all of us are born with a questioning nature. And as children, our questions may be a little more lighthearted. But as we get a little bit older, our questions become a little more serious, a little more complex And the way that we as parents answer these questions that our children have is important. See, God will help us answer our children's questions concerning life, their faith. We just need to be listening to our kids' questions, to listen to what they're asking. And we need to know where we can find the answers. And so this morning, I want to look at a couple questions that our students are asking and For that matter, all of us are asking in life and how we can answer them so that we can help guide their lives. And so will you stand with me this morning out of honor of reading the Word of God? In Matthew chapter 7, it says, Keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. Let's pray. Father, God, I love how children are so inquisitive and they want to know everything. And God, as your word says here, that when we ask, God will receive what we ask for. God, when we seek, we will find you. And so, God, I pray that 
we would seek after you today and that we would search for you. And God, as we do, your word says we will find you. And God, may you lead us and guide us in everything. And so, Father, I pray today as we look at just three questions that our students are asking, God, may you help us to be better equipped, better prepared to be able to answer these questions, to help guide them in life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, I would just want to jump right in today and start. And one of the questions the students are asking is, what does God want me to do with my life? Life would probably be a lot easier if God would just give us a step-by-step process for us, right? I mean, we want to have the entire roadmap laid out for us. We want to wake up in the morning and know this is what God wants me to do, the first thing and then the next thing and the next thing, you know. We want to wake up and have that, that list printed out for us where God says, this is what I want you to do all day today. And at the end of the day, you're going to be able to accomplish so much for me. You know, wouldn't that be just wonderful? That's not how go. You know, we want the entire roadmap laid out for us. By the time we're 15, we want to know what college we should attend. We want to know what our profession should be. We want to know who we're going to marry and and at what age all this is going to take place. And while students want to know everything, the truth is we don't need to know all that right now. Our world is in an information age where we can go onto our cell phones and just find out any question that we have an answer But God doesn't work that way. He knows what we need. He knows when we need it. And if we simply just live each day for him, he will lead us into all truth. See, God's will isn't so much about what's to take place 10 years from now. It's about today. And finding out what God wants for our life is as simple as doing the next thing and doing the next right thing. In Jeremiah 29, In verse 11, it says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. And so when our students are asking, what does God really want from me? Let them know that they need to keep their focus on God. They need to keep their focus on God. In Jeremiah 29, God's speaking to the people of Israel through his prophet Jeremiah. The Israelites were just taken into captivity and by the Babylonians, and, and their future is crumbling all around them. It doesn't look good for them. And yet God does something amazing. He gives them hope. He tells them this isn't the end, that their captivity is only going to be for 70 years. And God provides this message of hope. He says, I know the plans I have for you. And I think the two best words we can pull from the message of hope is, I know. And I want you to write that next to Jeremiah 29 and 11. I know. Think about that. What does God know? The simple children's church answer is everything. He knows everything. And think about what that includes. The author, John Eldridge, puts it this way. He writes, The truth is that God knows us very intimately. He knows what time you went to bed last night. 
He knows what you dreamed about. He knows what you had for breakfast this morning. He knows where you left your car keys, what you think about your aunt, and why you're going to dodge your boss at 30 today. The scripture makes that very clear. You are known intimately. God knows us. And so when you begin to wonder, or your, your child tells you that they don't know what to do, remind them to focus on God, for he holds our future. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. He knows it all. He knows your plan. Since God knows the plan, it's like he has this roadmap for us that will help us to get through the obstacle course called life, right? It makes sense that we should keep our focus on him, the one who knows everything. Yet we often get sidetracked on things that look like they could be what we're looking for, right? And we forget to focus on knowing the one who has the roadmap. I brought in my GPS this morning. I got lost one time. Actually, it was several times on a trip, and I got so frustrated. I'm like, I'm buying a GPS. And so I still have this archaic one that I use from time to time, but I also use my smartphone one. But I brought in this GPS because let's pretend after service you're really hungry and you want to go out to your favorite restaurant. And so you plug in the, the address to your GPS. Your GPS will get you there with pinpoint accuracy, right? And as you're driving, all of a sudden you begin to not listen to your GPS, right? How many have done that, right? You just tune out Siri or whoever, and you just stop listening, right? Happens in our family all the time, right? And you just stop paying attention, and all of a sudden, you miss the turn, right? Let's say you're driving, you just tune out your GPS, and all of a sudden, you just start passing restaurant after restaurant, and you see a restaurant that you like, and you, you pull in, you park, and, and you go in, and you realize this isn't the restaurant that has my favorite rolls I was looking forward to, and so you leave and you get back in your car and, and you say, okay, and you look at your GPS and you realize you still have a couple miles you have to drive down the road to get to where you wanted to go. When we stop listening to our GPS, we soon find ourselves in the wrong location, don't we? And it's just as foolish to take our eyes off of God and begin to look at what is around us as well. See, rather than wondering if every stop is the right one, Focus on holding the hand of him who knows your plan. See, if we're asking for God's help in these things, we don't have to get worried about missing it. You don't have to worry about missing it. God knows all. He knows all. Just keep your focus on him, and he'll take you to the correct destination in his time according to his plan. When it comes to know what God wants for their life, I'd say let them know to, to keep their future in perspective. Tell them to keep your future in perspective. Just because we're traveling this life with God doesn't mean it's going to be the quickest or easiest route. In fact, there's many times where his roadmap is going to take us to places where the scenery isn't the prettiest. And when problems in life come, it's hard to remember that, that he has a plan to prosper us. He has a future for us, Right? Sometimes it can get difficult to understand that. We, we forget that. 
It's easy to question if we're on the right path and if the destination that we've chosen is really worth the trek or not. It's funny, though, when I plug in the coordinates into my GPS and it routes my destination, I don't question the GPS and retype the address when it takes me down a street I'm not familiar with. I don't sit there and say, mm, I'm not sure about this street. I trust that the GPS knows where it's leading me. I trust it. And if we can trust this GPS that was created by humans, I think we can trust God who has the roadmap of our life because he knows our destination. See, we must trust him even when the scenery doesn't make sense. In Romans 5, it says, we confidently, joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. See, it may seem like a contradiction, but ultimately suffering produces hope. I know it doesn't make sense. We would think that suffering would cause us or want us to run away from God. You know, why, God, am I doing this, going through this? And we want to run. But think about it. In what way can we more identify with Jesus than we, we go through trials and when we suffer? Though it may pale in comparison to what he experienced at Calvary, we can understand the Lord when we go through trials. The classic book, Heinz Feed on High Places, tells the story of much afraid and her desire to go high, to high places to be with the great shepherd. The book is an allegory that parallels our life and our desire to go to the high places God has for us. As her adventure begins, the shepherd lets her know that she will have two traveling companions. Who are they? She whispered to the shepherd. The shepherd replied, they're good teachers, indeed. I have few better. The first is named Sorrow, and the other is her twin sister, Suffering. And isn't that true? Sorrow and suffering teach us a lot. Yet when we keep our focus on God and our future in perspective, we're able to overcome any momentary setbacks and uncomfortable circumstances. It's hard when you see people who have their life mapped out where their life seems to just be working out perfectly, right? And where everything's just coming easy for everyone else. And your life is one day at a time and you're just hoping to make it through the day, right? James Irwin had a dream as a boy. He wanted to walk on the moon. He kept in mind, keep in mind that this was decades before there was anything like NASA, Growing up in the 1930s, he fell in love with the idea of flying. To family and friends, he would sometimes point to the moon and say, someday I'm going to travel there. To get there, he'd have to go through a lot of roadblocks. At age 11, his father couldn't find work, and James had to be the man of the house. One report says he was in a life-threatening accident where nearly every bone in his body was broken. As a young man, he applied to be a test pilot but was disqualified because of a military rule. And instead, he was assigned to, be a, uh, to design missiles. At the age of 30, he finally accept, was accepted to the test pilot program, but three years later was turned down to be an astronaut. A year later, he applied and was promptly denied again. At the age of 36... 
the age limit for astronaut candidates, he was finally accepted. After five years of rigorous training and preparation, James Irwin went on the first lunar mission on July 30th, 1971, and he became the eighth man to walk on the moon and deployed the first lunar rover. He had a dream that God placed in his heart. Even when setbacks came, he held on to it. See, by not getting distracted with apparent roadblocks, he was able to do what God planted in his heart years ago as a child. And most roadblocks are actually building blocks that will help you to do what God has placed in your heart. Psalm 119.50 says, Your promise revives me. It comforts me in all my troubles. God has a plan for you. And when we keep our future in perspective and hold on to his hand, we remember that is this current feeling that we may have is just a blip on the radar of life. See, keeping our focus on God and our future in perspective, we will see beyond our current situation and know that God is in control. When it comes to know what God wants for their life, let them know to keep their feet in motion to keep their feet in motion. When you allow the Holy Spirit to be your traveling companion, you'll rarely walk in a straight line. Having a GPS will give you turn-by-turn directions, but God doesn't necessarily uh, operate that way. The route is wherever God goes. Wherever he is, is the route. And he may veer off the path and start blazing a new trail. And when he does, he fully expects us to follow along where he's going. And that means we have to keep our feet moving. See, if we stop and protest, it will never realize our goal. If we throw a tantrum, temper tantrum and because God has taken a detour, it's not going to help us in the long run. Too many people turn rest stops into dwelling places. We have to keep moving and seek God constantly. God isn't hiding from you. He's leading you. And we can have all the direction and information in the world, but if we don't move, we're no better off than someone who doesn't have a compass. God is trying to teach us that it's not about where we're headed. It's about who's traveling with us. And you may have heard this before when you've gone on vacation. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey, right? God wants you to go on an incredible journey with him. James 4, 8 says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. God wants us to have that relationship with him. And figuring out what God wants you to do is less about knowing what the destination looks like and more about making the next right move. It's not about the finish line. It's about just taking the next step that makes the difference. He doesn't want us to miss a, an opportunity or a moment of this incredible adventure. He wants us to enjoy it with him. And it will only make sense when we keep our, moving, our feet moving and moving after him. See, it's important to know God. It's important to know what he wants in our life. But it's not as important to know what everything. You know, a fear we have is, what if I don't make the right decision? You know, or what if I mess up? Right? 
Will my life be ruined if, if I just make the wrong choice? Will my life be ruined if, if I don't get it? Will my life be ruined if I make the wrong decision? You know, will there be some catastrophic event take place? No. As long as you regain your perspective, your focus, and get moving again, you'll be all right. Another question that the students are asking is, what is life all about? Right? Maybe you've said it or maybe you've heard your children ask this question. You know, why on earth am I here? Why did God create me? You know, what is this life all about? See, we aren't here just to eat, sleep, breathe, grow up, get a job, pay taxes, right, and then die. That doesn't sound like fun at all. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us a long ago. God has a plan for us. He's created us with a purpose. Do you know what the purpose of a pencil is? It's to write with, right? Yet we attempt to do a lot of other things with a pencil, right? I've tried to use it as a screwdriver to try to tighten something. I've, I've seen people clean their ears with the eraser part, right? I've seen people, use, not at the same time, but use it to fix their hair, right? And we use this pencil for all these different things, but it wasn't created for that. It was created so that we could write with it. See, God has a purpose for your life, too. He created you for a purpose. And so when your child asks, what is life all about? Let them know that God made them to know him and to love him. That God made them to know, the, know him and love him. One day, someone came to, to Jesus and as he was ministering to people and asked Jesus, of all the Ten Commandments, of all the things that are out there, which is the most important? And this was his reply in Matthew 22. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Jesus said the first and greatest is to love God. We won't understand what life is really about until we understand that God loves us and that he created us and he has a plan for us. See, God wants us to have a relationship with him. And that's our privilege as humans. We have a relationship with him. See, our relationships with others, they're, they're dynamic, right? They often change with time, right? Sometimes you lose friends. Sometimes you gain friends. But the ultimate goal of your friendship is to grow deeper, right? And God wants us to have a, a deeper and a real lasting relationship with himself. And as your understanding of who God is and what he did for you deepens, your love for him will increase and you'll find yourself wanting to know him more and wanting to spend more time with him. The second reason you can share why you're created is that God made us to become like Christ. And this isn't so much a faith question as it's a, a question about our character. God made you to become like Christ. And our response should be that we should grow in maturity in our faith. See, I committed my life to Christ after I graduated high school, and I'm more like Jesus today, 20-plus years later, than I was when I first graduated high school. Am I perfect? No, not at all. My family will attest to that, right? But I'm more like Jesus today 
than when I first became a passionate follower of Christ. You see, God is more interested in your direction than your perfection. He wants to make sure that each day we are headed in the right direction moving forward. Even if it's a little baby step, we're moving forward. See, God is molding us. He's tweaking us. He's shaping us to be more like him. In Romans 8, 29, it says, God knew them before he made the world, and he chose them to be like his son. When it's all said and done at the end of your life, do you care what people say that you've done or the person that you could be? See, we're not so much remembered for what we've done, but by the person we are. We're remembered by who we are. And then the third reason God created us, he created us, he made you to help other people. When we look at why I'm here, it's to serve, to help other people. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, God has given each of you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. Passing on to others God's many kinds of blessings. God wants you to be a blessing to other people by helping and serving them. See, there's two types of people in the world. There are givers and there are takers. Those that give to others and individuals that take from others. And if we could line up everyone to find out who are the happiest people on the earth, I'd guarantee the happiest people are those that give their time, their energy, their resources to helping other people succeed in life. See, when we look at why God created us, it's so that we can know him, to become like him, for us to help others. And then I tell our students, God made you to tell others about him. And that's our mission, to tell people about Jesus. Acts 20, 24 says, life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's mighty kindness and love. That's our responsibility. That's our purpose, to tell others the good news about God. And how are we showing? How are we telling other people about Jesus? See, God created you and I. He placed us on this earth, not only so that we can have a relationship with him, but he placed us here on this earth so that everyone can have a relationship with him. See, God placed you at your school, at your work, in your neighborhood, in your community, so that you can tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. And when you discover your purpose in life, and that's to know God and to make him known, life begins to make a whole lot more sense. And then another question that students are asking themselves is, how can I live a life of uncompromised faith? How do I not compromise my faith? How can I live my faith, or how can I live for God in a society or, or at work or in school, I'd be passionate for him. In 1998, Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa embarked on one of the greatest summers in baseball history. They battled back and forth for one of the greatest records in all of sports, the home run record. And in 1999 to 2005, Lance Armstrong set an incredible record of his own. Coming back from cancer, he went on to win the Tour de France, a 23-day bicycle race that's over 2,000 miles long. He won it seven years in a row. 
unfortunately for these competitors, evidence came out that each one of these athletes tried to gain an unfair advantage and cheated to win. These athletes' decisions to cheat tarnished their achievements. All the hard work and effort that they put in. See, life is hard, and when we see individuals in their daily life making compromises to get ahead, a question that comes up is, how can I live passionately for Christ without making any compromises? How can I live in this world when others are trying to cheat to get ahead? How can I live without making compromises? And here's what I'd tell our students. Choose what God wants over what I want. And that's tough. Because what I want, I want. And when I want it, I want it now. Right? I'm not the only one. I know that. In the book of Judges, it shares about Samson's life. He was born a Nazarite, and, and, or to have a Nazarite vow. And, and now most people, they would take a vow. It would be for a certain period of time. But for Samson, it, it was to be a lifetime commitment. He was called for a special task, and it meant to, he had to do certain things or to avoid certain things that most people didn't. He couldn't eat or drink anything that came from a grapevine. He couldn't cut his hair. He had to stay away from anything that was dead, even an animal. And it was a sign of being totally dedicated to the Lord. And because of this dedication, God blessed him with superhuman strength. But little by little, Samson began to make compromises. In Judges 14, it says, On the way, he left the road to look at a lion that he had killed. And he was surprised to find a swarm of bees inside the dead body. He scraped the honey out into his hands and ate it as he walked along. And you might be thinking, you know what, that's gross, but really, what's the big deal? You know, so he stumbled upon this dead lion carcass and ate some honey. It's gross. I would never do that. But, you know, what's the big deal? It's not like he robbed a bank. I hear what you're saying, but there's a principle here. Collapses begin with small compromises. When we make allowances for ourselves and say yes to something that's sinful, we've compromised. We ignore what God wants and choose to partake in what we want. Oscar Wilde once wrote, there are two great tragedies in life. One is not getting what one wants. The other is getting it, right? You live long enough, you realize that's true, right? Just because we can do something doesn't mean that we should. The real question we should be asking ourselves is, why do I really want this? Is this really going to make me feel any better, right? Why am I even tempted to reach for this? right? I'm so stressed out. Why am I even wanting to do this? Where do I find relief? See, when I'm hurting and in pain, the answer is not in something with cream filling. As though as delicious as that sounds, what I need to do instead of turning to sweets, I need to run to God, find comfort in Him, right? It's not about what I want. It's about what I need, and I need Him, and then I would tell our students to live an uncompromised life. Choose God's way rather than my way. Choose God's way rather than my way. Samson made a ton of mistakes in, in his life, and particularly in the area of his relationships. In Judges 16, it says, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. 
And then five Philistine kings went to her and said, trick Samson into telling you why he's so strong and how we can overpower him. Tie him up and make him helpless. Each one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. See, unfortunately for Samson, he was getting involved with a woman who would do nothing to encourage his spiritual life. He was obeying, he was disobeying God left and right, but we see no evidence of sorrow or repentance of his sin. In fact, he, he never sinned at all. And one of the most important things we have to learn is to, to run to Christ when we sin. To run to Christ when we sin. There was a lawyer defending a man who was accused of burglary, burglary and he tried this creative defense. He said, my client merely inserted his arm into the window and removed a few small items. His arm is not himself. And if I fail to see how you, you can punish this whole individual for an offense committed by this limb, well put, the judge replied. Using your logic, I sentenced the defendant's arm to one year in prison. Whether he'd like to accompany his arm to prison or not is up to him. Right? We've all made mistakes in our lives. We've all sinned. But instead of trying to handle it our way, we need to trust in God and turn to him. See, we can't ignore our sin. You can't live as if it's not there. Ignoring our sin is dangerous. You can't make excuses when the Holy Spirit convicts us. We can either admit that he's got us dead to rights or we can try to rationalize it away. But our explanations are just laughable to God. When we're convicted, let's not excuse them away. Freely and quickly admit you're wrong. Quickly admit you're guilty. And then don't hold on to it. See, we feel the shame of our sin, but do nothing about it. And that kind of shame is unhealthy and actually causes us to repeat the very behavior that we want to avoid. And so approach God as you are. It's one of the things that we fear the most, but it's the thing that we have to do. And when we do, you'll discover that God's been waiting there all along for you. And confess it. Confess it. In 1 John 1.9, it says, God is faithful and reliable. If we confess our sins, he forgives them and cleanses us from everything we've done wrong. Confession is when we come to God in humility and share with him the details of what we did and why we did it. And that may sound painful, but when we confess our sins to God, instead of being painful, it's freeing. For when we repent, when, when we intentionally say, God, I, I plan to never to do this again, we take practical steps so that we don't avoid this behavior. And then I'd tell our students, choose what God says is more important than what I feel. Choosing what God says is more important than what I feel. In Judges 16, starting in 19, it says, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep in her lap and called a man who cut off Samson's seven locks of hair. Then she began to torment him for he had lost his strength. Then she shouted, Samson, the Philistines are coming. And he woke up and thought, I'll get loose and go free as always. And he did not know that the Lord had left him. 
See, God gave us emotions. It's part of our makeup. However, if our hearts acts without the benefit of our brain, we're in big trouble. And that's what happened here with, with Samson. It was his problem. He loved the feel-good of life, but it rarely led him to do good. See, we live in a very emotional culture. And all too often we base our decision more on how we feel rather than what God has to say about it. You know, I've heard this many times, and maybe you have too. Maybe you've said it before as well. And maybe you've said, you know, I just wasn't sure what to do, but I, I just felt at peace about it, and so I went ahead and did it anyway. Just because it feels right doesn't mean it's what God wants us to do. The real question is, what does God have to say about it? What is God saying? And if we're believers, if we've invited Christ into our life, the Holy Spirit comes and resides inside of us, and he's there to help guide us. He's there as a counselor to help us, to instruct us. And he will guide us, and he'll let us know. If only we ask him. See, your children have tons of questions, and the only way that you're going to be able to help them the only way you're going to be able to answer your children's questions is if you spend time with them. If you are there for your children and they know that you're there, spend time with them. Have time together at the dinner table where you talk, where you have family time and devotions. Take your child out for ice cream or for a coffee and get them a caramel macchiato. Let them know you care. Not just with words, but with your actions and your time. For they won't open up to you unless you are there, unless they know you are there. Ask them how they're doing. Be strategic when you ask questions. You know, don't just look for one-word answers because, how are you doing? Good. How's everything going? Fine. Right? Be strategic with your questions. Don't bring things up as soon as they walk in the door or as soon as they walk out or getting ready to head out the door. You don't like it, so don't do it to them, right? Give them time to, to sit, relax, rest. Be strategic, right? Timing can make or break a conversation. And as a parent, you know that all too well, right? But be strategic. Ask them how they're doing. And then model to them how to live passionately for Christ. Because if they don't see it from you, they're not going to get it. If they're not seeing you do it, how are they going to know? You set the bar in your household. You set it for them. You're determining how high they're going to raise it for the next generations to come. And so I want to encourage you, live passionately for them. Let them see you loving God. Let them see. And when they know you love God, they'll be able to ask questions. They'll say, you know what? Tell me a little bit more. I don't understand. How can God do this? Well, let's go to the Bible. And you can point them to what the Bible has to say. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that 
Your word says when we come close to you, you come close to us. God, as we pursue you, you're right there with arms stretched out, waiting to embrace us. And so, Father, as we look this morning, God, about three questions that all of us ask in our lives. What do you want me to do in my life? God, what is life all about? Why am I here? And how can I live passionately for you in this world? God, as we pursue you, God, may you help us to be able to share these answers with our own children. God, that they will see you in us. And God, that when we have the opportunity to talk to them, God, that we will not be like those athletes that tainted their record. God, that we will live in uncompromising faith where our children see us loving you and know that when we talk about you, we talk from experience and passion. And God, that they'll be able to accept what we say. And so, Father, I pray. God, help us. Give us opportunities throughout the week, throughout the years to have conversations with our children, to help lead them and guide them, I pray. And you're here this morning, and as I was sharing about what life is all about and how we are created to know God and to love God, that just resonated with you this morning. And you haven't yet committed your life to Christ to but today is the day, and you say, I need to make a change in my life, and I want to give God my life today. I want to cross that line of faith. The first step to living life that way is to pray this prayer with me. You don't have to pray it out loud, but will you pray along with me? Jesus, thank you so much for loving me, and I want to live passionately for you. And though I may not understand it all right now, God, with your help each day, I'm going to learn a little bit more and more. God, I invite you into my life today, and I ask you to forgive me of all my sin, all my mistakes that I've made. Come into my life and make me a new person, and help me to live for you each day, I pray, so that next year, 10 years from now, God, I will love you more than I do today. God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen.